Good morning. Um, I am going to open up in a word of prayer. Um, <clears throat> it's always my custom to um, seek the Lord in prayer before we break the bread of life. So would you uh, bow your heads and join me in a word of prayer? Lord, we need to hear from you. Lord, we don't need a, we don't need a sermon. We don't need a, a cute talk. Uh, we need to hear from on high. We need to hear from the Spirit of God. Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Holy Spirit, be our preacher and our teacher. Father, I pray that I am able to communicate your word in a way that lives are changed for your glory and for our joy. I pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, my name is Tyler. I, I pastor a church in Detroit, Michigan. Um, it is a privilege and a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm going to be in Amos chapter 5. Please follow along with me. I, I'm just going to walk it down a little bit. Um, I'm going to start at verse um, uh, verse 2. But, so, but, but, but while you flip or turn there, let, let me give you a, a, a bit of a... Um, set the scene for the book of Amos. Amos was a herdsman. Amos was a, a, a shepherd, and he cultivated sycamore trees when the Lord called him out of absolute obscurity to the office of prophet around 750 B.C. Amos, uh, uh, when he was delivering this prophecy, when Amos, uh, during his time of ministry, this was a, a time of great financial plenty and domestic security for Israel. Due to the trade routes being open, there was a, a bit of an economic boom in Israel during this time. And some had become uh, really rich. Some had uh, winter and summer homes, both fully furnished. And they were uh, living the good life, experiencing uh, a financial plenty, uh, wine and lotion and fragrance. Amos would describe how many people are living the good life. They were living their best life now. I don't know if they had that book back then, but they were living their best lives. Uh, so, so many, <laughs> many assumed that this financial prophecy, this, this uh, excuse me, this financial uh, uh, prosperity and somewhat domestic security. They assumed that this was the blessing of God. They, they assumed that God was pleased and satisfied, but they were sadly mistaken. God's people had become smug and arrogant and even, even uh, indifferent during this time of financial prosperity. And they drifted further and further from God. Uh, uh, Amos has two main indictments. He has two main indictments, the oppression of the poor and the oppression of the vulnerable in their community and worship became a mere formality. Worship became something you did instead of something you are and worshiping something greater than yourself. So the Lord sent this little humble shepherd to declare judgment on his people. Uh, let, let's, let's, let's jump into Amos chapter 5 again. So the context of chapter 5 is Amos is weeping. Amos is uh, uh, mourning the imminent demise of Israel. Listen to verse 1. And two, Amos chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. 
Listen to this message, message that I am singing for you, a lament. House of Israel, she has fallen. Virgin Israel will never rise again. She lies abandoned on her land with no one to raise her up. What a popular message. This would have sold a lot of podcasts. This would have sold a lot of books. But but think about this. Can you imagine how crazy this man sounded? This was a time of financial boom. This was a time of prosperity. And he is saying Israel is dead. This was a time that things looked beautiful on the outside. And on the inside, there was death and decay. However, the prophet is, he's, 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 when you hear this, think, when you, when you hear Amos chapter 5, think of a funeral. Think of a eulogy. He said, I am singing. I am lamenting. He is declaring their demise and their death while things are alive and well in Israel. He, would, he was speaking of the uh, eventual Assyrian army marching through and burning Jerusalem down. In effect, he is singing their funeral song and performing their eulogy right before them. Things look good on the outside. There's, there's, there's financial boom. There's prosperity. People have multiple homes. Amos is saying, rest in peace. Jump down to verse 4. Amos Amos chapter 5, verse 4. Amos chapter 5, verse 4. For the Lord says to the house of Israel, seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel or go to Gilgal or, or journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will certainly go into exile and Bethel will come to nothing. Verse 6. Seek the Lord and live, or he will spread like fire throughout the house of Joseph, and it will consume everything with no one in Bethel to extinguish it. Verse, verse, verse 4, he gives a, a divine ultimatum. Amos is speaking on behalf of of God, and he's giving a message that still applies to us today. Seek me and live. Verse 6, he says, seek the Lord and live, or else the Lord will sweep through as a consuming fire. But notice this, in in verse 5, he says, do not seek Bethel or go to Gilgal or journey to Beersheba. So there's, he's saying, seek God, seek the true and living God, but don't seek these locations. Don't seek Bethel or Gilgal or Beersheba. Do not run to, do not seek these places of worship, but rather pursue the true object of worship, the true and living God. What do all three of these locations have in common? All three places were very significant in the redemption, uh, redemptive history of Israel and became places of worship. All three places marked the deliverance of God, the, the mighty hand of God moving amongst his people. All three, peop- uh, all three places point to uh, uh, the covenant relationship that God has with Israel. They, they all point to him being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Bethel was one of the very first places that Abraham made an altar and worshipped the true and living God. These these were significant places. But you know what happens with us 
You know what happens with us? Uh, uh, sometimes these places, and we hear the Bible story, and we hear the gospel narrative, and we, we hear the words of God, and it just becomes familiar. They, they heard about Abraham building an altar at Bethel, and they heard about the Exodus. They heard about Jericho. They heard about David and Goliath. They, they, they heard about all these stories over and over again, and it just became stale. And, and worship became a formality, not a way of life. Worship became something that they did instead of something or someone that they were, a worshiper of the true and living God. Israel's commitment shifted from God to the places of God. They drifted from worshiping the true and living God, and they began to worship worship. Their prayers were minus his presence. Their, 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 their rituals were minus a relationship. Their songs of praise were minus power. This culture of worship detached from God was still present in the days of Jesus. Jesus spoke to the religious leaders of his day and put it this way in Matthew chapter 15. The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain, they do worship me, teaching the doctrines and the commands of men. What did, what did, what did Solomon say? There's nothing new under the sun. Like the days of Amos, like the days of the Lord Jesus, many people offer acts of worship detached from a life of worship, detached from a heart of worship. Acts of worship, uh, 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 apart from a life of worship, is merely a performance. The reality is our country is full of Bethel, Gilgal, and Beersheba worship. Millions have reduced the worship of the true and living God to a time and a place and fulfilling a religious duty and checking a box while, while simultaneously living a life completely detached from him. God, I give you this two hours on Sunday, but the rest, I sit on the throne of my life. I rule and reign. You can have Sunday. That's a fair exchange. You wake me up. You kind of, you take care of me. You wake me up and you make sure I'm alive. So I'll give you Sunday and I'll give you a couple times a week. But the rest of the week is mine. My money is mine. The rest of my time is mine. The shepherds, Amos is pointing out this misplaced worship. Misplaced worship is, is when our worship, when we, walk, when we offer our worship to something that is not the true and living God. We are created to worship. We're created to worship him. Worship is as natural as breathing for us. But the problem is we often misplace our worship. Paul said it in, in Romans chapter 1. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the, create, the creatures or the creation other than the creator. We're going to see it as we keep Spoiler alert, as we keep reading in Amos chapter 5, God says, just shut the church down. Stop coming. I don't want to hear your prayers. I don't want to hear your songs because you don't, I don't have your heart. I don't have your life. I don't have your allegiance. So you can keep the worship because I don't have you. 
But what does God desire? What, what does he truly want? Glad you asked. Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, what we have received in Christ, the forgiveness, the redemption, the grace, the salvation we have received in the Lord Jesus Christ, the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. A life of worship, a heart of worship, a, a, a life uh, uh, and heart aligned to submission to the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, in light or in view of the mercies of God. Mercies means that you were spared. We were spared hell. We were spared the, the punishment and the wrath of God for our sins because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus. In view of the mercies of God, Paul says, Offer your entire body, your life, as a living sacrifice because of the mercies of God, because of the mercies we have received in the Lord Jesus Christ. We offer him everything, and we offer a life of worship, not just a time of worship, not just going to a place of worship. Do you offer your life to God as an act of worship? or a life of worship, or is it just lip service and ritual? What are the good things in your life that you wrestle with idolizing? We all have temples. We, we all have idols. Tyler does. Things that God has blessed us with. James chapter 1 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. But we take those gifts and we make those our object of worship. What are the good things that you wrestle with idolizing? What are the areas of your life that you've not offered to the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's keep reading. Uh, uh, let, let, let's keep reading. Got a, I got a long way to go. Not a lot of time to get there. Uh, uh, verse 7. Amos chapter 5, verse 7. Those who turn justice into wormwood also throw down righteousness to the ground. Again, so again, Amos has two uh, indictments against Israel. Oppression of the vulnerable, the vulnerable, the foreigners, the, the fatherless, the widows. He has two main uh, indictments that you have misplaced worship. Worship has become a, a formality and oppression and injustice. Because you've exchanged the, the sweetness of God's justice, you've made it bitter. And he said, you've trampled and thrown down righteousness under your feet. So before we keep moving, uh, 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 let, let's establish two definitions. What is righteousness and what is justice? Justice refers to uh, fairness, primarily in the legal arena, but more broadly, the fair and equitable treatment of people in our society. That's what justice is. That's soapbox. Okay, let me just kick it over there. Um, but we have to define terms because I can be saying one thing and you can be saying another thing. We have be, be having a two different conversations. So, so justice is fairness, the fair and equitable treatment of people in our society. Righteousness means a a, a moral 
to be morally correct or virtuous. Uh, justice and righteousness go hand in hand. Please, please hear this. Uh, justice and righteousness go hand in hand because ultimately justice means to make what is wrong right. That's what justice is. We, we can get so tied up and we can and you can write all these blogs and all these books and, and everybody got a book and I'm going to write a book to counter your book. Oh, yeah, you mentioned me. I'm going to write a book about your book and we can do all this. But but purely in its essence, justice means to make what is wrong right. The fair and equitable treatment of all those who bear the image of the true and living God. While Israel was, was celebrating and living it up and experiencing great financial boom, God was not pleased because people were being mistreated. The vulnerable in society were being uh, disenfranchised, and they just were not doing what was right in his sight. The wrongs were not being made right. Says you turn justice into wormwood. Wormwood was a, a bitter-tasting poison native to North Africa. Amos is saying the, the justice system in Israel had become poison. This reminds me of when I look at my city's history. I'm from Detroit, born and raised. I look at systematic injustice and systematic uh, inequities that have gone to bring my city to rubble. Detroit is one of the few major cities, one of the few cities, period, that have had three race-related riots, 1863, 19. 43 and 1967. The one in 1863 was was an anti-draft race riot, and it was a smaller thing, but and there's not a lot of history on it. But in 1943, a major riot broke out because black factory workers were being mistreated. We talk about the North, how 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 nice and kind and sweet we are up north. Black factory workers were experiencing mistreatment, lower wages, and this riot broke out in the city resulting in 34 people dying. In 1967, the summer of 1967, the 12th Street riot began and changed my city forever. One of the worst riots in American history, 43 people killed, 342 people injured, and approximately 1,400 buildings burned down. It was a hot and humid night in Detroit, and people were fed up. After years of military-style policing, they were called the Four Hogs. Four police officers would ride around. Four white police officers would ride around in one car and harass and bully people in the city. After years and decades of military-style policing, harassment, and brutality, a crowd of 200 people witnessed 85 people being arrested in an after-hour spot. What they didn't know that they were celebrating a Vietnam vet, a black Vietnam vet returning home from Vietnam, and they threw him a party. 85 people arrested, and 200 people saw this, and the city erupted in flames. After this riot, major things, major shifts began to happen in Detroit. The big three left, 
and the, the, the factories that supplied the big three left. Countless buildings, uh, excuse me, count, countless businesses left. Some that day, some people began to put their keys under their door and leave during this riot. It was called the White Flight of Detroit. A city of about uh, 1.8 million people shrunk by over a million people. Detroit became a place that you didn't want to live in. All the businesses left. It became harder for black Detroiters to obtain and maintain employment because all the, bu the businesses left. And then redlining happened, and other forms of housing discrimination began to be more aggressive in Detroit. I talked to my grandmother. My grandmother was one of the first butchers hired by Kroger, black woman. And my grandfather was a truck driver. Both made very good money, and they could not buy a house in specific areas. Two incomes. They couldn't buy a house in the suburbs. They showed them where they could buy a house. Redlining, other forms of housing discrimination. White people fled Detroit to the, the new bordering suburbs by literally the hundreds of thousands while black people were relegated to housing projects and other poor neighborhoods. As Detroit's income base uh, diminished the city services, especially education took a dip. Detroit went from a city that was about half white, half black, and financially thriving to 90% black with extreme poverty, struggling education system, and a feeble economy within 10 to 15 years of these riots. And as Detroit's school system crumbled, the big three now required you have a high school diploma. My grandfather came up here with a third grade education. My grandmother had about a fifth or sixth grade education, and they made a living. But now you have to have a high school diploma. You can't just come and get a job. This excluded many potential workers. Lack of jobs, poverty, poor education, and you cram all these people in a housing project, what's going to happen? Crime. Detroit became one of the most violent cities in American history. I grew up in Cracker, Detroit. I remember seeing people standing on the corner ODing off drugs. I, I remember the violence. I remember being scared to go outside because it seemed like every other day someone was overdosing or dying. Detroit is a case study of what happens when systematic injustice and inequity happen on a grand scale. Amos is saying you've turned justice into wormwood. It's poisoned from the core and righteousness. Just doing what is right by people has been, has been thrown down. Jump down to verse 10. Verse 10. They hate the one who convicts the guilty at the city gate, and they despise the one who speaks with integrity. In Amos' day, the, the elders and the spiritual leaders would hang out at the gate, and they would have little booths, and they would settle disputes, and different uh, civil and legal disputes would be settled there by the elders. Think an uh, ancient Middle Eastern Judge Joe Brown or Judge Judy, whichever you prefer. I prefer neither. Uh, but Amos is saying that the people of Israel 
had rejected wise counsel. They had rejected truth. And instead, they desired injustice. They desired the poor to be trampled and the rich to become more affluent. He's he's referring to the perversion, the mass perversion of the legal system. Due to their power and their privilege, many desired to stifle those who spoke out and spoke on behalf of the poor and oppressed and marginalized. In Amos' day, speaking for justice, again, justice means just to make what is wrong right. They ran up against a wealthy, powerful, corrupt system. Verse 11. Verse 11. Amos chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, because you trample the poor and exact grain tax from him, you will never live in the houses of cut stone you have built. You will never drink from the, you will never drink the wine from the lush vineyards you have planted. For I know your crimes are many and your sins are innumerable. They oppress the righteous, take a bribe, and deprive the poor of justice at the city gate. Again, remember, this isn't a time of struggle. This is during a time of great financial boom. Israel had become so corrupt. Their legal system had become so corrupt. It was based on who you know, who you could bribe. Inflated taxation, uh, predatory lending. I live in Detroit again. You, all you have to do is just drive down a main street and you'll see predatory lending. You'll see businesses and lending organ, uh, institutions and places that are there just to exploit the poor. And intentionally rejecting the cry of the vulnerable, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Again, the law of Moses specifically tells them that you care for the foreigner. The foreigner that's in your midst, you care for them. We scream, build that wall. It it says that we care for the fatherless and we care for the widow. This is the law. This is the, the just and right laws and commands of God. And we say, I got mine. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. According to Amos, the, the rich were getting more rich at the expense of the poor in literally taking food off their tables due to predatory lending and inflated taxation. Said, I'll give you a loan, but I'm going to charge you an exorbitant rate just so I can come and repossess it. And then if I try to take you to court, all I have to do because I have more money, you all I have to do is just bribe the judge. The rich were getting rich and the poor were getting more poor. Again, this, this was at a time of great financial uh, boom. This wasn't necessary. It was just the, the rich wanting to exploit the poor. Again, instead of caring for the non-Jewish foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, the, the vulnerable of society, which Scripture commanded them to do, Israel exploited and oppress the vulnerable. So what was God's punishment? What what, what was God's punishment? Amos is saying the Lord is going to act as a divine repo man and repossess everything that they had accumulated unjustly. 
says, you'll never live in the houses that you cut. You'll never drink from the wine of the lush vineyards. Why? Because you accumulated those things unjustly. You accumulated those things off the back of the vulnerable, so you'll never enjoy it. With striking uh, irony, the, the wealthy would never enjoy what they stole from the poor and the vulnerable. But the Assyrians would. After uh, oppressing and exploiting the vulnerable among them, Israel would become oppressed and exploited by the Assyrian army. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that will he also reap. I'm coming down my street. I'm wrapping up. Uh, jump down to verse 21. That means I'm almost finished. Like I'm coming down my street. Verse 21. For the sake of time, let's skip a little bit. Verse 21. Amos chapter 5, verse uh, 21. Remember, this is God speaking through Amos. I hate, I despise your feast. I cannot stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. Even if you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. I have no regard for your fellowship uh, offerings of fatted uh, cattle. Take away from me the noise of your song. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. Isaiah, ha Isaiah chapter 1 has a similar message. Micah has a similar message. God is fed up with his people. God is fed up with them offering uh, uh, acts of worship without a heart of worship. He, he's fed up with his people going through the motions religiously and not giving him, not giving him their lives. He just said, stop doing it. He said, he said take away. He says, I, verse 21, I can't stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. God is disgusted by the hypocrisy of his people. Misplaced worship, idolatry, uh, uh, spiritual apathy, along with the oppression of the vulnerable. God is saying, you can keep it. God, speaking through his representative Amos, methodically breaks down each element of Israel's worship and rejects them one by one. Your offerings, your solemn assemblies, your feasts, keep it. Amos used two very strong words, I hate and I despise. This misplaced worship and this oppression of the vulnerable the Lord no longer has any interest in the religious formalities. He's God. He, he doesn't need us to worship and sing to him to fluff up his ego. He's God Almighty. He, he literally has that 24-7 eternally from the angels. He, he doesn't need that. He desires a life. Of worship, He desires what has been wronged and people who have been wronged to be made right. 
due to their hypocrisy. The songs are just noise. The offering is just a stench. What does he desire? What, 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 what sweet song does he desire? What, what sweet aroma does the Lord desire? Verse 24, but let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. Verse 24, the Lord plainly states with crystal clarity what he desires. Not eloquent worship, not, not skilled musicianship, not religious pomp and circumstance. Instead of the re religious rituals, instead of the performance, God wants a relentless commitment to overflowing justice, making what is wrong right among his people. He wanted a, a passionate concern for the widow, for the, for the fatherless. He wanted to roll on and flow like a river, like a never-failing stream. He wanted his people to do what Paul said in Romans uh, chapter 12, to present their lives as an act of worship. God, you have everything, not just my sacrifice. The Lord desires righteousness. He desires justice because it is the very character of God. He's a just and holy God. And we see this righteousness, and we see this justice. Uh, to, to, to see it in uh, 4K, look no further than the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we see the justice of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, sin made everything wrong. Adam chose sin, but not only did Adam choose sin, Tyler chose sin. We were born in sin, shaped in iniquity. Uh, Proverb, excuse me, um, Psalm 51 and, and, and Romans chapter 3 says, there's none who seek God. There's none righteous. No, not one. Each and every one of us chose a life apart from God. And the ultimate act of justice, the Lord Jesus Christ came to make all things right. Justice was served on Calvary through the death of our Savior. Sin was punished. God was exalted, and he was able to display uh, complete uh, grace and mercy without compromising his righteousness. The sin debt had to be paid, and it was paid in full by the Lord Jesus Christ. Through Christ's death and resurrection, justice was fulfilled, and righteousness was made available to broken sinners. Through the death of Jesus, the Father made all things right. Sin had to be punished, justice had to be served, and it was completely through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, justice means to make all things right. And it happened at the cross with the Lord's resurrection. So practically, what does it look like for, for us in 2021? What does it look like for justice to roll down? The old black church, they would say, make it plain. First, tears of justice. 
first tears of justice. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. One of the main things I love about Jesus, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of things, but one of the main things I love about Jesus is he is a weeping God. We have a weeping Savior. All throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus, we see his heart broken. We see his heart shattered over the brokenness of man, over the sinfulness of man, over the neglect and uh, those be, uh, who are oppressed being disenfranchised. We see the Lord Jesus weeping repeatedly through the Gospels, in the Gospels. Despite knowing full well he would raise his friend Lazarus from the dead, we still see Jesus weeping at the tomb with Mary and Martha. We have a weeping Savior. Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter uh, 4 says that, that Christ is a high priest and he's not one who is detached and far away, but he's one who is able to empathize and sympathize with us because he experienced the same thing, yet did not sin. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. So if we have a weeping God, if we have a weeping Jesus, why are we so callous? Why, why are so many believers in this weeping God cold and callous? Even if you don't understand, even if you don't agree, we have a weeping God, and we're called to weep with those who are weeping. If we have a Savior who is clearly tenderhearted, if we have a Savior who is clearly moved, why do, why do so many have hearts of stone? I just don't get it. Nah, I just don't understand. Nah, I just don't agree. Uh, it's just a new agenda. Uh, I, I just don't get it. Uh, so it's this, it's that, it's this, it's that. So people are hurting. People are broken. And that should move you. This week, here's a challenge. This week, pray. Romans 12, 15. Ask the Lord to break your heart for those who are suffering, those who are disenfranchised. Ask the Lord to do a work in your heart. First, tears of justice. Secondly, ears of justice. Ears of justice. James chapter 1, verse 9. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Uh, one of my main frustrations as a Christian, as a minority, is I often feel unheard and dismissed. I often feel like I'm having a conversation with a person and I'm explaining my experiences. I'm telling you what I've experienced. I've had guns pulled on me by police officers. I've been called boy. I've been snatched out of my car. And I'm explaining this to you and you say, well, but statistically speaking. But that's an isolated example. One of my main frustrations is I, instead of understanding, instead of compassion, I met with canned arguments. Be slow to speak. Be quick to hear. Listen, with, and not, not with a prepared response. Not, well, well, I read this one thing in this one book. Not I listened to this podcast. How about you actually listen to someone's experiences? Tears of justice. Ears of justice. Lastly, a voice of justice. 
This is Jesus himself speaking in Luke chapter 11, verse 42. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe the mint and the rue and every herb, but neglect justice and the love of God. These things you ought to have done without neglecting the other. Can I make it real plain for a minute? If we look at the the scope of history, the American church has either been silent or complicit in the oppression of the vulnerable in our country. I see great parallels from what Micah says in Micah 6 and what what Amos says here in Amos 5. Uh, Our country has stood idle or even co-signed discrimination, the exclusion of minorities in churches and denominations and seminaries, the mass incarceration of black and brown men, racial profiling and abuse and harassment by police, the undereducation and underemployment of those in the urban core, the exploitation of illegal immigrants, and the marginalization of women and children in poor communities. The church has either stood idle or been complicit. Like Israel and Amos 5, the church in America is guilty of turning a blind eye to gross injustice based on race, class, and gender. And even in many cases, perpetuating it. Can I make it plain, plain? With your white friends and family, if you are a person in the majority, what if you spoke graciously and candidly to the plight of illegal immigrants, to the plight of minorities, to to the plight of those white brothers and sisters in the lower class, How about you spoke candidly to those people who push against? What if you had those conversations? What if you what if you just said, well, you know what? Uh, It's not that's not the case. I know many black brothers and sisters. I I know many poor white folks that are having fill in the blank experiences. Instead of just being silent. What, What if you confronted and challenged? The many latent and outright racist and prejudice and, and, and things of bigotry that you hear and call them to repentance. Can I just make it plain, 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 plain? Racism is a sin. What if you call them to repentance? I'm not saying you, I'm not saying you label them a racist. I'm not saying you, you, we can do that on social media because it's easier to just make a social media post. But what if you, what if you heard something, you say, hey, my brother. I'm going to call you to repentance because that statement is a sin against a holy God. What if you called him to repentance? What if you sought opportunities, healthy, Christ-honoring opportunities to serve the marginalized? Tears of justice, a voice of justice. I'm going to conclude here. Amos says, seek me and live. 
Amos chapter uh, uh, 5, verse 4 and 6. He says, seek me and live. Seek the Lord and live. Please hear this. Jesus is the only way of life. Jesus is the only source of life. John 10, 10. Satan's come to kill and steal and to destroy, but I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Anything other than Jesus we chase after will deplete you. Anything you uh, lift up above him will leave you only wanting more. Jesus is the only source of life. If you seek him, if you surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have life. Jesus has the exclusive right to life and the abundance of life. Why? Why why does Jesus own that exclusively? Because he provided life. He, He lived life sinlessly. He died in our place and he rose again to give us eternal life. In Amos chapter 5, the prophet is, is, is entreating God's people to reconciliation. Seek God and live. Seek the Lord and live. He, he's, he's calling them to reconciliation. He's calling them to reconcile back to God. Yes, these passages speak of judgment, but ultimately Amos is calling his people. He's giving them an invitation to live and to trust God as the true source of life. We have the same call. We have the same ministry of reconciliation. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. See, all things have become new. Everything is from God who is reconciling everything to himself through Christ. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors of Christ. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. There that word is again, righteousness. God is reconciling all things back to him. He is making all things right, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus is using his people to do this reconciliation. Since we've been reconciled to God through Christ, we have new life in him. Now we have a ministry just like Amos telling people to seek God and live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you for the fact that things look bleak and confusing and hard and difficult right now. But we know that you are making all things right and you are reconciling all things back to yourself. Lord, it, look, it doesn't look like that sometimes. Lord, it looks like things are only getting worse. But we trust you and your sovereign hand to reconcile. Thank you for this ministry of reconciliation that you've given us. Thank you that you've given us a similar ministry to Amos. Seek God and live. Be reconciled to God. Receive life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, our prayer is that you do 
amazing things through your church, through your people here in the Twin Cities and in Detroit, Michigan and beyond. Lord, help us to be a people who have tears of justice, ears of justice, and a voice. Lord, there are so many vulnerable people around us that have no voice. Help us to speak words of grace. Help us to speak truth and love to see righteousness and justice roll down. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.